very unusual structure. The moon of Mars. Of course I'm going to specify. There's a monolith. We've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. The scientist pulled out one of these mosaics and showed this base. Geometric shapes, there were towers, there were uh, spherical uh, buildings. There were very tall towers and things that looked somewhat like radar dishes. But there were large structures. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Welcome to the Zero Brain Podcast, the show that focuses on the unexplained. I'm Dave Grave, your host, and like always, we got an awesome episode lined up for you today. Here we go. Chapter 13. If they aren't dust clouds and mists, what are they? I'd long been concerned with the puffs of dust, the mists, the clouds on the moon. Whitish puffs of something which hovered above the ground and were sometimes transparent. Some of them looked like our clouds on Earth when seen from above in a jet. They sometimes obscured a particular crater and other times they spread out over a larger area. There were also the hazy conglomerations that looked like mists. They moved over crater floors, making their features appear blurred. I knew about the gas ejections, of course. These gases behaved differently. They distorted the landscape slightly. They were blown out of discrete nozzles. They did not obscure completely, nor did they hover above the ground. What was the cause of the clouds and the mists? Astronomers for many years have been seeing these phenomena and have attributed them to various natural events. Ice trapped in crevices turn into vapor and burning midday heat. Volcanic eruptions, pulverization effect of meteorites, gases trapped under the surface of the moon, and escaping and other natural causes including tricks like solar flares and plays on the eye. It was time to learn what the physical properties of the clouds and mists were, to think and develop new theories uninhibited by the current orthodoxies of my experience so far had been that if an orthodox explanation for a phenomena sounded foolish, as many did, it'd probably been cooked up to avoid the occupancy thesis, how could clouds and mists behave in the vacuum of space? What kinds of clouds and mists could be considered possible there? What was the latest thinking by physicists? In past efforts, I'd been accused of being disorderly. Sam Whitcomb once challenged me with visions of change on the moon. He'd said I'd acted like a whore on the Alaska pipeline. Just because you're not trained as a scientist does not mean you shouldn't work in a systematic way. It's easy to do sloppy work when you're not pushed. There's data in the pictures and you haven't even come close to it yet. I'd rather you found it yourself. Dig in. But I've already done... You found a lot of interesting stuff, Sam agreed. But imagine there are 500 people after the same data. What then? I admitted I would work harder, more systematically. With this wrist-slapping hanging over me, I headed north one morning on Route 270, the highway Eisenhower built just so he could get more easily to his farm in Gettysburg. Up past the new technical plants and the thousands of townhouses spawned by them to the National Bureau of Standards. 
My physicist friend with whom I had an appointment with was one of the better scientists in an agency known for its quality of professional staff. He leaned his head he leaned his head back against a scientific apparatus I did not recognize and said, Let's take the clouds first. Clouds of gas. They're billions of atoms with no binding between them. They're bounding around, hitting each other like crazy. Do you get the picture? I get it. So this gas wants to disperse, to expand. It has to expand if there's room at all. Put some gas in a closed room and it'll expand to fill the room. Put it in a vacuum and it shoots out in all directions. Then, on the moon, we'll come to that. It's a good, def- it's a good definition of futility. A gas expanding to fill the vacuum on the moon. Now keep in mind that a gas must have either an internal energy or energy from an external source. The sun in the middle of the day on the moon would be an energy source. Heat deep inside the moon, such as the cause of a volcano, would be another. Take away all the energy from a gas inside and outside and it'll become inert, a solid or a liquid. It wouldn't be a gas anymore. He looked at me as though he had said he had had this great punchline to deliver. Only trouble is, the physicist said, what would hold a cloud of gas together on the moon? We pondered that question for a moment. I can see gas escaping from a fissure, he said. I can see a trapped liquid turning into a gas as the moonscape heats up during the day. I can see a gas coming from any number of natural causes. I just can't see what would hold it together in a cloud. It would be long gone. I took notes. The so clouds of gas on the moon are out, except for a fleeting moment. Let's move on to mists. The physicist looked thoughtful as though he wanted to add some reservations to my hasty dismissal of the subject. He leaned over to his inbox on the lab counter, fingered some publications, scratched his name off a root slip on a couple, and then tossed them into his outbox. A mist consists of lots of tiny droplets. The atoms are bound, unlike the atoms of a gas. But they are not rigid like a solid. They're more subject to gravity than gas particles. And in a vacuum, what's to keep mist particles up? I mean, that's what a mist is, isn't it? A lot of tiny droplets kept suspended above the ground. I mean, if they're on the ground, then it's not mist anymore. It's moisture on the ground. It's dew. Wetness. I shrugged. What indeed would keep a mist above the ground in a vacuum on the moon? I doubt very seriously that water droplets on the moon would stay together long enough to be detachable, the physicist said. He sounded quite certain. A mist couldn't even exist in the first place, not unless it was sprayed out. But then it would fail, it would fall, or disperse and disappear fast. I take it you wouldn't catch a self-respecting mist on the moon just hovering around, I said. I hated what I was hearing. It meant my job was harder. It meant we were seeing things on the moon which were not as they appeared. They could not be labeled, they did not even exist according to the known laws. Not by a damn sight, the physicist said. We talked for a couple of minutes about how the Bureau had grown in the 70-odd years from a room where they kept the standards for weights and length, keeping them from moisture and changing temperature, to a vast complex employing 3,000 people. That leaves only dust clouds, I said, when the time seemed right. He looked at me as though I'd asked him to make a speech in Philadelphia. They're impossible, he said. When he saw my expression, he said quickly, You can't have dust clouds without gaseous action, without air in and around the ground, around the cloud. 
Without wind to stir up the dust, something's got to make the cloud in the first place. It can't make itself. Ever look at dust particles in a shaft of sunlight? Watched the particles bounce around? That's called Brownian motion. Impossible on the moon. Impossible to have a billowing cloud of dust. I looked at my notes, but they were a blur. Flashes of scenes scudded across my eyeballs. I saw pictures with dust high above the ground. Billowing dust clouds on the sides of ravines, on crater rims, on cliffs. NASA bigwigs might say they were optical illusions caused by the scattering of light. Orthodox astronomers might say the picture was snapped at the precise moment that a meteorite hit. And now this heavyweight physicist was telling me they just didn't exist. But you're standing on the moon, I persisted. Okay, I'm standing on the moon. You kick the dirt under your feet. What? Oh, right, the physicist said. Dust will get raised naturally, but it will fall right back again. It won't hang around in a cloud. There was an odd look on his face. I waited. And don't forget, he said, I'm not there kicking up the dirt. I had to agree with that. But who was? Suppose you hit the side of a cliff on the moon, I said. Hit it hard, and the cliff is composed of rock chips embedded in a fine soil. Won't the dust fly out from the cliff and billow a little from the light gravity as it falls down? Sure, he conceded, as long as there's someone there to hit the cliff. And if you use some sort of snowblower in the sandy dirt on the moon, you know, something that sucks up the dirt and blows it out, then I suppose you'll get a spray of dust. He nodded, a spray of dust, or a spray of anything for that matter, will shoot up and out a lot farther on the moon than on the earth, much lower gravity. In my enthusiasm, in my enthusiasm for what I believed to be a confirmatory point, I pursued this theme. We discussed the action of dust in a vacuum for another 15 minutes, but the basic facts had already been established. One, it is virtually impossible to have a hovering cloud, mist, dust, or gas on the moon. Two, all of these entities might be seen for a limited time as they were being ejected from a container or stirred up. Three, gases, steam, and mist would all disperse very quickly in the vacuum of the moon's environs. Four, dust could clearly be seen if it were raised or knocked down from a cliff, but it would settle soon. And lastly, five, the chances are... That the dust seen in the moon craters where X-drones were now working was being continually raised as opposed to the slight chance that the picture was taken just at the right moment when a rare dust cloud had just been raised as by a meteorite. I prepared to leave. We had already shaken hands when the physicist said something which endeared me to him. Suddenly, he was a lot more than a spewer of textbook facts. He said something which even I had forgotten about in my own zeal to get to the facts. He could have written the first chapter of this book. One cautionary word. I stopped. Our conversation is based on our knowledge to date. The so-called terrestrial limit. Man's limit. God knows if we'll have to readjust our knowledge out there. I swear there was not even a twinkle in his eye as he said it. Three good examples of these phenomena were fresh in my mind. Billowing clouds, but they couldn't be, along with the Apennine Mountains. Mist, but it couldn't be, hovering over the crater near Ranger 7 impacted. And dust, but it couldn't be, 
on the sides of the King Crater where the Extrones were working. I spent the next three days in the library searching for a history of clouds, mists, and dusts on the moon. It was fantastic history. One of the average person probably doesn't dream exists. One you won't even get in a course on astronomy. Now, some of the highlights, only a few, the examples number in the thousands, went like this. P. Moore. Obscurations have been reported in Messier from time to time, and on one occasion, Klein described Messier as being filled with mists from 1880 to date. Dinsmore Alter reported a veiling of the floor in Alphonsus in 1956. P. Moore again. Alter suggested that the cause of the veiling in Alphonsus was, a slight, was of a slight discharge of gas from the tiny, very black spots lying along the clefts, forming a local and possibly short-lived atmosphere. He added that on two occasions the same sort of thing had been recorded in Linney. Fred Whipple, a number of observations have noted haziness, brightening, or reddish coloration in certain crater floors and around the edges of certain craters in Maria from the late 18th century to the present day. Whipple again. On November 3, 1958, N.A. Kozryev at the Kharkov Observatory was guiding the slit of his spectrograph on the central peak of Crater Alphonsus. He first observed that the peak became strongly washed out and of an unusual reddish hue. Two hours later, he was struck by its unusual brightness and whiteness at the time. It appears that the gas effusion from the crater lasted for not less than half an hour, and not more than two and one-half hours that night. These and other observations indicate strongly that on rare occasions, appreciable quantities of gases are emitted from cracks or craters in the lunar surface. Possibly, there are occasional morning fog effects in this certain in certain in certain of these craters. Whipple, again, B.M. Middlehurst and P.A. Moore have cataloged some f- some 400 similar reports, including one nearly two centuries old by William Herschel. F.H. Thornton in 1949 saw a patch of thin smoke or vapor in the Herodotus Valley, which spread over the edge onto an adjoining plain. The smoke or cloud or vapor blurred the moonscape. Obscurations in the crater, Plato, have been so numerous that it is the single favorite feature of amateur astronomers. They have been reported for over a hundred years. Schickard has been reported filled with whitish mist prior to 1900 and well into the 20th century. E. E. Bernard saw a pale luminous haze in tails early in this century. Charbonneau, the French astronomer, saw an unmistakable white cloud form in the Apennine Mountains. Picard Crater in Mare Crisium has been obscured many times since the late 19th century. W.H. Pickering, who first predicted the existence of Pluto in 1919, thought he saw hoarfrost in Messier, and the crater named after him as well as cloud-like features along the Apennines and what looked like vapor coming from craters near Herodotus. T.A. Cragg observed an obscuring matter slowly covering the floor of Plato. Flammarion Book of Astronomy the moon's surface is dusty. How was that dust formed, and where did it come from? Meteoric dust would certainly not distribute itself in this way. It must be assumed that the dusty material arises mainly from the disintegration of surface rocks in situ. On the time scale of human geology, the erosion process is very rapid, every new formation being quickly covered with a dusty blanket. The existence of the latter can be verified even on the steepest slopes, such as that of the almost vertical straight wall. 
It sticks on by electrostatic or photoelectric effects combined with the moon's feeble gravity. More. Three times in 1948, I saw the whole area of the Graham crater misty gray and devoid of detail, with the surrounding surface sharp and clear-cut. Carl Sagan in Modern Times writes that tens of meters below the surface of the moon, there might be a layer of organic material. Gases or mists could conceivably emanate from this layer. Bear in mind that organic matter implies life. A. Deutsch, a Russian astronomer, suggested in 1961 that in view of the constant temperature below the outer coating of the moon, gases might exist there to support plant or animal life. More. Either we are dealing with gaseous emissions from the moon's crust, forming what may be termed a temporary and localized atmosphere either of gas or dust, or else all the observations are wrong. Obscurations have been, re- have been repeatedly found in the, in the Hyginus Ryle area for 90 years or more. More, let us repeat, few professionals who have carried out really serious lunar observing have joined the amateurs in confirming the existence of obscurations, Wilkins and more. Some observers have suggested that gases of unknown compositions are occasionally ejected from cracks or sublunarian cavities beneath the surface. Selenography must be founded on observation, not on preconceived and often erroneous conceptions. On and on it goes. This is hard data written by scientific men of stature, men from all over the world, heavyweights such as Whipple and Moore, Wilkins and Sagan. I could go on this subject alone, fill volumes. Clouds and mists and obscurations must, according to the record, be as natural to the moon as the, cra- as the craters which pock its surface. Yet, continuous clouds and mists and gases cannot be. The modern physicists say so. They would immediately disperse, not hang together long enough to obscure a crater floor, for minutes or hours. One would not find a cloud of gas staying together in a puffy white state long enough to move around or even long enough to be photographed by orbiter or Apollo cameras. Were the clouds and mist controlled in some way? Were they really small particles under the control of the moon's occupants? I reminded myself of my own dictum. The moon is a whole new ballgame as we change our ways of thinking, get out of the mental straitjacket. We must realize that some phenomena might be beyond our comprehension. Life itself could take the form of clouds or mists under control. There could even be intelligence in the form of pure energy. There is no limit in theory to the form which intelligence could take. But somehow, I could not bring myself to believe that the explanation was that far out or complex. I was intrigued by the ideas of clouds composed of particulates which, when stirred up, remained in the form of a cloud for perhaps a couple of minutes because of the light gravity on the moon and the lightness of the particles. I could conceive of the enormous flying objects with rotating rings stirring up the dust for a mile or two around. There had to be an answer which reconciled the thousands of observations of clouds and mists with the basic laws of physics, even physics on the moon. And Wilkins and Moore, the team which carried the burden of the moon for the professional astronomers back when the moon was a drag, said in their book, The Moon, Faber and Faber, 1960, It is not impossible that on the moon there may exist or have once existed some form of life peculiar to the moon and totally unlike anything ever known on earth.
All right, everybody. That's the end of chapters 12 and 13. Next week, another doubleheader. We're going to be reading chapters 14 and 15. Lights, flashes, and flares. Let there be light for life as well. All right, that's the end of the show. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, and follow on every major social media avenue you see the Zero Brain Podcast at. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Buzzsprout.com, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I'm Dave Grave. Again, this is the Zero Brain Podcast. You guys have a great day. Peace.